Matthew 4. And we'll study as we sang, yield not to temptation. We want to talk about Christ when he did not yield to temptation. Jesus has been baptized. He has been publicly proclaimed as the Son of God. And now he is faced with temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, a passage which is paralleled in Luke 4, verses 1 through 13, and very briefly, very briefly, in Mark 1, verses 12 and 13. Let's see what the text says. The Spirit, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began ministering to him. This passage is, this passage is a great showdown between Jesus and Satan. It is a passage in which we face difficulties in trying to understand this. If Jesus were not God, if Jesus was not deity, Jesus could not have on his own turned stones to bread. And yet if Jesus were not man, he couldn't be tempted Because James 1 in verse 13 tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil. So in the temptations of Jesus, we see the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. But to be able to put all of this together and understand it perfectly is something that we would never be able to do. Apologize because the button is saying this is on. No. Who is the Josh? Are you the? Uh, you got green lights on. 
Okay. It's got a green light. I turned it off. I want to sit close to the mic right now. Okay? I apologize if you couldn't hear. Let's look at this text just a second. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It is interesting in Luke's account, there are two references to the Holy Spirit in the first verse. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Satan has a purpose in Jesus' temptation, and it is to destroy the whole plan of salvation. God has a purpose in Jesus' temptation, which is to qualify him to be a merciful and faithful high priest who was tempted in all points like we are, yet he without sin. And so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses did that on the mountain in Exodus 34, 28. Elijah did that in 1 Kings 19 in verse 8. Also on Mount Sinai. He fasted for 40 days and his hunger is overwhelming. And the tempter, and the devil is only spoken of that way one other place in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, I know that our English translations have the word if. But this if would probably better be rendered since. Since you are the Son of God. Jesus has just been openly proclaimed as God's Son in Matthew 3 and verse 17. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And now the devil is building on that. And the devil is saying, since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now I want you to think about the irony of this situation. Here is the bread of life. Here is the one who can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 suffering hunger. The one who can satisfy our hunger, experience hunger. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. This is beneath your dignity to experience it. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The devil took Jesus to a high temple, the high place of the temple, 
It's not specified, but there are places in the temple where there is a 200 foot drop. Or were places in the temple where it's believed there was a 200 foot drop. And he said, throw yourselves down, for it is written. It is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you. And they will bear you up, lest at any time you strike your foot against the stone. If you believe the word of God, if you really believe that, okay. If you really believe God is with you, just jump off the temple. He's obligated to save you. But you see, God is not our servant. We can't say, okay, God, you said it. I'm going to do this. If you don't protect me, it's your fault. We can't do that. He said, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. I don't understand all of this. I understand that Satan is spoken of as ruler of this world in John 12, 31. He is God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The whole world lies in his power, 1 John 5 and verse 19. What is he able to promise in this particular passage? But he says, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, go Satan or be gone Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. From Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. And the devil left him, and the angels came and began to minister to him. Now this chapter is full of profound information, both doctrinal and practical. All of these, and we want to touch a little bit on all of those aspects of this, though we will not plumb the depths of this passage. One of the things, though, I ask you to think about, I ask you to think about how many Old Testament characters or images and how much Old Testament background that you can see in this. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke, and I want you to see a contrast that may not be as clear in the Gospel of Matthew. But remember at the baptism of Jesus in Luke 3, in verse 22, it is proclaimed of Jesus, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. And you have the words of Luke 4, verse 3, just like Matthew 4, verse 3. If you are the Son of God. And Luke 4, verse 9, if you are the Son of God. But look up into Luke 3 and verse 38. In Luke 3 and verse 38, notice that Adam is called the Son of God. I think one of the contrasts that's being made in this section of Scripture is a contrast between Adam as the disobedient Son of God and Christ as the obedient Son of God. 
Adam was placed in the best of conditions. He was placed in paradise upon earth. And he still sinned. Jesus was placed in the worst of conditions. He was living in a wilderness where there was really little to provide for him. And yet he refuses to give in to temptation. Both Moses and Elijah fasted for 40 days in the scripture. So there are all kinds of connection. But one that I think is particularly striking is the connection between Jesus and Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. When Israel was in the wilderness 40 years, do you remember how often they complained? Do you remember the complaining was mainly about food and water? Food and water. They were in the wilderness. They were constantly complaining about food and water. But when Jesus is in the wilderness 40 days and has had nothing to eat, and the devil says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. The one who changed water to wine would have had no difficulty doing that. But he said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was going to trust God to provide for his needs. He wasn't going to use his abilities and his powers so that he would never suffer want or difficulty. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. They complained about food and water. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeds. Israel tested God time and time again. Numbers 14 verse 22 tells us they tested me these ten times. But let me particularly call attention to one of these cases. In Exodus 17, in verses 1 through 7, Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, the text tells us the people came to Rephidim. There was no water there. They quarreled with Moses, said, give us water to drink. Moses tells the Lord, I'm afraid that they are about to sow me. This is where Moses struck the rock. And water came out of it. But in verse 7, the text says, He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Even in their complaining about food and water, they are testing the Lord. Is the Lord really among us? Now, what you think about this place? These people say, is the Lord among us? The Lord who sent ten plagues to devastate the land of Egypt. Those plagues fell heavily on the Egyptians and those plagues did not affect the Israelites. 
When the Israelites came to the Red Sea and the sea was on one side and the Egyptian army was on the other side and there was no way out, God divides the sea. Israel crosses over on dry land. The Egyptians try to do the same thing and they are drowned in the midst of the sea. When they come to a place where the waters are bitter, the people began complaining. Moses throws in a tree, and the bitter waters become sweet so that they can all drink. When they complain for lack of food, God sends manna from heaven in this barren wilderness. He provides for them. And these people are going to ask, Is the Lord with them? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every one from God's hand. We trust Him. We trust His Word. We wait on God. And we don't make demands of God. A man that was in the news much years ago. He has saved from the news. Honestly, I couldn't tell you if he was alive or dead. Talked about his journey in life. As a very religious man. To become an outspoken atheist. In humans. And when questioned about it. He said, well... I had a sister who was sick, and I was crying, I prayed, and God didn't do anything, and she died. We're going to come to God and say, you have to act on our terms? The God who gave His Son to die for us? Jesus said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. You don't throw God into a situation and say, God, you have to act or your promises aren't true. And when He is taken to a high mountain, He showed all the kingdoms of the world. All of these will be yours if you fall down and worship. He says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. In the wilderness, Israel worshiped other gods. In all the ways that Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus succeeded. Jesus was all God intended Israel to be. He was the true Israel. He was the fulfillment of all God had planned for them. By the way, at the end of the book, do you remember what Jesus said? He says, all 
has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Do you know that statement? Do you know where he made that statement? He made that statement in Matthew 26, Matthew 28, verse 16, on a mountain. Here he is shown all the kingdoms of the world from a very high mountain. And at the end of the book, he will affirm from a mountain that he has everything that was promised and more. But he has gone by the way of the cross. I want us to always remember too that what we are reading through this book prepares us for the ending of the book. It prepares us for the final notes of the book. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become man. If you're the Son of God, (laughs) cast yourself down from here. When Jesus is on the cross, If you're the Son of God, come down from here. And we will believe in you. Do you hear Satan's temptation go through? This prepares us for the end of the book. Jesus was taken, Matthew 4, verse 5, tells us, to the Holy City. But you remember that account in Matthew chapter 27? When after Jesus' resurrection, many came forth from the grave and they were showing themselves alive in the holy city. That city has shown itself to be anything but holy in rejecting Jesus. But God is making it holy to the crucifixion and resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. He will give his angels. He will command his angels concerning you. So that you do not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus will say. When some of the disciples tried to defend him with the sword in the garden. He said, don't you know I can pray to my father? And he would at one time send more than 20, more than 12 legions of angels. And then it's the angel who rolls away the stone from the tomb. It is the angel who announces to the women the resurrection. The angels play a key part. We have already talked about the mountain included in that is Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew 17 and verse 1. But I also want you to notice something else. I want you to notice the wording of Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to him, he said to Satan, go Satan, be gone Satan. Now I don't know how that's translated in all of your versions. Be gone Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The Bible says the devil left him, Luke says, for uh, till, until an opportune time in Luke 4 and verse 13. But I want you particularly to notice the phrase, be gone Satan. Look in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, until Matthew 
16, from, from Matthew 4, beginning with verse 12, to Matthew 16, verse 20, Jesus is preparing the disciples to make that confession that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But notice in verse 21, He begins emphasizing something else. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. He's telling them he's going to die. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you're a stumbling block to me. For you're not setting your mind on God's interest. But man, do you notice that Jesus is saying to Peter the same thing he said to the devil in Matthew 14? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus had just told his disciples that he is going to be crucified, but he will be raised. Peter rebukes him and says, Lord, we're not going to let this happen to you. He said, get behind me, Satan. I think that shows up. Part of the idea of these temptations is to get Jesus to avoid the cross. And yet, because we said yes to temptation. He has to go to the way of the cross for us to be saved. I think about that just a moment. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's a living memory that He is with us and what He has done for us. Now, Lord willing, I've got nine to follow. This is just all introduction we've gone through so far. But I'm going to send out these nine points later. Last, we don't have any break between the morning service and the scene. So I'm not going to use this, but we'll send out the PowerPoint. But I want to make a couple of these points. First of all, I want you to know this in the text. The devil and spiritual warfare is real. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against spiritual wickedness and heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. The devil is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Paul told Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 5. Years ago, some churches went through their hymnal and they removed any references to Christians being soldiers or warfare. It is not a battle that is fought with missiles and guns, but it is real nonetheless. And it is real whether we remove those songs from our hymnal or whether we leave them there. It is real. And the Bible constantly affirms that. We are not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 tells us. But much of the world is ignorant of his devices. And understand, there are things about the temptation of Jesus that are unique. There are things that are unique here. And I know God has a unique purpose in the temptations of Jesus in qualifying Him to be a merciful and faithful high priest who was tempted in all points like we are, yet He without sin. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. But God has a purpose in our temptation too. God has a purpose in that. And the Bible tells us in James 1 to rejoice in tribulation, in trouble, in persecution, because they can bring all kinds of blessing. I'm combining Romans 5, 3 through 5 with James 1, verses 2 through 4, but, but you get the idea. But I want to tell you something else. Sometimes dictation is subtle. It's real subtle sometimes. And that's why people are still mystified. With what would have been so wrong with Jesus turning stones to bread? Sometimes Satan is subtle. Satan may even pull his picture to justify his position. Like Psalm 91, 11 and 12. Which is a very fascinating context of that that shows Satan's demise if you want to ask about that. Sometimes temptation is so subtle that we may totally miss it. And I wonder how many things I've bought into and you've bought into because we weren't even attentive enough to recognize it. But sometimes temptation isn't subtle at all. Sometimes 
Sometimes temptation is direct in your face. All these kingdoms I will give you if you fall down and worship. You notice that before that temptation, the devil doesn't say, if you're the son of God, he doesn't make any mention of that in this particular temptation. But it is a direct frontal assault on God. I'll give you all these things. If you fall down and worship me, sometimes temptation is subtle and it takes the back door and sometimes it just seeks to overpower us and to hit us in the nose. As Potiphar's wife did with Joseph when she grabbed his garments and said, lie with me. Or, as Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel chapter 3, if anyone doesn't bow down to my image when they hear the sound of the musical instrument, you're going to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Sometimes temptation isn't subtle at all. And we have to be prepared. For both And what weapon does Jesus use in confronting the attack? Yeah. It's written. Not only can he quote scripture, he carefully pondered the context and the intent. We preach and teach the Bible. We give out Bibles for others to read. Because that word can hold on to us in the midst of a world where there are all kinds of signs pointing us in the wrong direction. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Reflecting on scripture. Reflecting on what Scripture says about His name, character, God, and who He is, and what He's done, and how He has blessed us. All of this leads us to say no to temptation. Years ago, I heard a man on the radio. Talking about how he was in Canada in a conference. He had been away from his wife and children for a couple of weeks. He said there were no activities planned on this particular night. He said he was feeling kind of lonely. And he said, to be truthful, woe is me type attitude. And he said two attractive young women approached him and spoke to him in a sensual way that he understood 
that they were inviting him to come to their room and be with him. And he said, I would be dishonest if I didn't tell you that I was just a little bit flattered. Because nobody ever talked about me as being that good look. He said, but the thing that, that led me to resist temptation, he said, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but the first thing I thought of wasn't my wife, it wasn't my four kids, it wasn't that I was being set up. He said, none of those things were the first thing I thought of. The first thing I thought of was God's Word. And he said there was a giant middle picture, as it were, of Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that will be also reap. He said after that, there was one passage after another that came to my mind. And I firmly said, no, to take action. One of our purposes in our time together is to strengthen us for those circumstances when you're alone and when you face temptation. Your word I have written from my heart that I might not sin against you. Satan lost that battle. Satan's going to lose the whole battle. Revelation 20 verse 10. And be thrown into the lake of fire. Remember the one who said no to temptation and who went the way of the cross because we said yes to temptation. And we're headed to destruction. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, there are no words that we can utter that are adequate to say thank you. No words that we can utter. That can express our awe and all that was done for us. But we do say thank you. Lord, forgive us for times that in the best of circumstances. Where you said yes to temptation. And help the determination we see in this passage for Jesus to go the way of the cross. Help us, help that to enhance our love, our love for you, our appreciation of what you've done. 
are saved in all of your salvation. Hold us in your hand. And we pray that we may see the King in all his glory someday. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yield not to temptation for yielding is sin. Have you ever yielded to temptation? If you are old enough to understand what I am saying, the answer is yes. But because of God's mercy and grace, He has opened the door of forgiveness via the cross. God has given His Son to die for us so that we could be forgiven our transgressions and our iniquities. If you need to make your life right with God, if you need to be baptized for remission of sins, we will to help you. We invite you to come as we sing.